Good morning. I love the story of Emmaus. Uh, we've been there ever since Easter. And that's a story where in Luke 24, Easter afternoon, two disciples are headed to this place called Emmaus. Emmaus is not mentioned any place else in the Bible except in Luke 24. Uh, it's probably just no more than a crossroad. We're, all we're told about these two, one is named Cleopas. We don't even know the other one's name. Uh, but they're heading to Emmaus. Emmaus is west of Jerusalem. What's important about that is the ladies came back from the tomb on Easter morning and said that the angel had meet, met them, greeted them, and said, you need to go to Galilee. Well, Galilee is north of Jerusalem. So these two disciples, they don't believe these ladies at all. They don't believe the resurrection has happened. They don't believe that Jesus is alive. They think that all of their dreams and hopes and everything is done. And they're headed to Emmaus and not going to Galilee. And guess what happens? They meet Jesus. Of course, at first they don't even know it's Jesus. Jesus comes to them. In fact, Jesus says three things. It's written in red ink if you have a Bible like mine. Three things to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The first thing he says is, hey boys, what are you talking about? And they say, well, all the things that have happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus plays dumb. I love that. He's, he says, what things? Of course, Jesus knows what things have happened in Jerusalem. What things? And they say, well, about Jesus of Nazareth. We thought he was the one. We thought he was a prophet. And, you know, it didn't work out. And then Jesus says two things that you never, ever, ever want Jesus to say to you. He says, how foolish you are, how slow to believe. You never want Jesus to say that. Last week when I was in Panama, Pastor John was here and he was saying how and Jesus then opened up scriptures. All the scriptures, well we would say the Old Testament, uh, referring to him and he explained it to them and, and he was giving them insight from God's word, how important it is to be in God's word. But guess what? They still don't recognize that it's Jesus. They don't realize that they're talking to Jesus, the resurrected Lord. That's where we're going to pick up the story. It's in Luke 24 and this is what happens next in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they're going, Emmaus, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. I love that about Jesus too. Not only has he played dumb, but now he's pretending to go farther. This happens at our house all the time. You know, we get ready for bed. I'm in bed. Carla says, Rob, did you hear that noise outside? And I pretend to be sleeping. <laughs> no, that never happened. That never happens. It sometimes happens. Jesus pretends to go forward, but they're, they're acting very hospitable, which would be very normal for their day. Um, if they don't have hotels, certainly not in Emmaus. And so if you meet a stranger, you've never met him before, you invite him to your house, invite him to dinner. That's exactly what these guys do. And so verse, verse 29 says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. And then listen to what happens next. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Oh, there's so much to unpack, and it's 1144. Um, here's Bible trivia time. When's the first time in the Bible anyone ate anything? First meal ever served in the Bible. Do you remember when it was? Well, sure, you should remember. Garden of Eden, right? The serpent came to Eve and said, listen, look at this fruit. Some say it's an apple. I, I don't think it was an apple. I, I don't like olives, so I think it was probably an olive. 
eat this olive. But she said, man, that looks like a good olive. And she ate it and she gave some to Adam. And you remember what happens. Genesis 3, verse 7, the Bible says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Luke is using similar language here in Luke 24 when they were with Jesus. In Luke 24, verse 31, it says, Then the eyes of them, those two disciples, the eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus takes the bread, breaks the bread, gives thanks, hands it to them, serves them, and their eyes were opened. Uh, In both cases, the same verb is used. It doesn't say they opened, Adam and Eve, they opened their eyes and saw that they were naked. It doesn't say these disciples in Emmaus, they opened their eyes and they saw Jesus. No, their eyes were open. What's significant about that? Who opened their eyes? Only God Almighty could have opened their eyes. And God Almighty for Adam and Eve, God Almighty opened their eyes and they realized the results of their sin. In Emmaus, God opened their eyes and they realized the, God's response to our sin. Jesus Christ, the living Lord. Hallelujah. You see, in the first supper, uh, they disobeyed. In this first supper of the new creation, these two disciples saw that the curse of Eden had been broken and Jesus Christ is Lord. That God's new creation had burst on the earth with joy and hope and and overcoming the decay and death that happened from the first supper. So now in this this moment, their eyes are open. God Almighty opens their eyes. Now this would be a perfect time for me to be, you know, like whip out my cape and be super pastor and say, listen, here's the three steps you need to take to have your eyes open. Here's the four steps you need to do to, you know, see the need. Doesn't work that way. Who opened their eyes? God Almighty opened their eyes. It's saying, God Almighty, I need you to open my eyes to see the needs around me. I need you to open my eyes so that I can see what you're doing. I need you to open my eyes to the needs across the street or the needs all the way in Panama at the end of the earth. I need you to open my eyes. And guess what? When we pray that prayer, God answers that prayer and he opens your eyes. Well, it's not surprising. This takes place. So they're having a meal. It's not surprising that it is a meal. Jesus was frequently associated with meals and food throughout his ministry. Very first miracle is where? Garden, or the, the wedding in Canaan when he turned the water into wine. Well, they had plenty of food, just not enough wine. And of course, Jesus fed 5,000 people on one occasion, big meal. And he fed 4,000 people on another occasion, big meal. And what his most famous story was, was what? The prodigal son story, right? When the prodigal son finally comes home and what happens? They kill the fatted calf and have a party. You know, everybody's happy except the older brother and the fatted calf, but everybody else is happy about it. You know, again, a big meal. And, and the first time Jesus was uh, 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 condemned is in Luke chapter 7 when, when they accuse him of having, having of eating with with. Well, what does it say in Luke chapter 7? He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus wasn't uh, accused of being a heretic at first. That would come later. He wasn't accused of being a blasphemer at first. That would come later. He wasn't accused of being a social revolutionary at first. That would come later. No, what was his, the first accusation against Jesus? He is a friend of tax collectors. He's a glutton and a drunkard. What that tells me is at Jesus' table, everybody's welcome. Yeah. 
They wouldn't say that if he was... You see, the religious leaders said, some prophet he is, I wouldn't be around those people. I wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. And Jesus is having dinner with them. Frequently throughout his ministry, Jesus is saying, hey, the table is open. You are welcome. You can come. Everybody's welcome. Remember, that doesn't mean our society has gotten things so messed up. That doesn't mean that... um, we accept all sinful behavior and, and, and just give approval to that. You can love people. You can love people as Jesus loved people. No matter where they are. No matter what they've done. No matter, no matter who or any of the other things. Sometimes we get hung up and Jesus shows it. Remember that famous story in John 8 when they brought the, the adulterous woman to Jesus? Caught in sexual sin, right? Um, they should have brought the fella too. Takes two to tango. But they only brought the woman. And you know how the story goes. Uh, they're ready. To, can we stone her, Jesus? They're trying to trap Jesus. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here's a sinner. What are you going to do, Jesus? We should stone her. And you remember Jesus' response. Whoever's without sin casts the first stone. And he's playing in the sand. And drop, 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 drop. All the stones leave. And Jesus says, and Jesus looks up and no one's there. And he says to the lady, you know, where are your accusers? And they say, she says, hey, they're all gone. And, and, and then Jesus says this, then neither do I condemn you. And sometimes that's where we leave off the story. Say, okay, Jesus didn't condemn her. But what did he say? Now go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus loved her for sure. But he wasn't saying he accepted her sinful behavior. He's saying you got to change, sister. All right. So we're, Jesus is welcoming anyone at the table. Here are these two disciples. They are doubters. They don't believe anything. They think the resurrection didn't happen. Jesus is having supper with them. Again, it happens all the time in Scripture. If you were to flip over just a couple pages in Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives an instructions and he gives a, a, a parable about what we're talking about. He says this in Luke 14. When you have a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll have what you've, and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay. Everyone is welcome at Jesus' table. That's the point. The, the overlooked, the undervalued, the poor, the folks in some remote village in Panama, the folks across the street. See, what that tells me is that Jesus will go to any place and anybody is welcome. Jesus doesn't just show up. Jesus shows up here, right? We're in church. Jesus shows up church and that's great. And we go to retreats and Jesus shows up at retreats. And we go to, you know, uh, family camp and Jesus shows up at family camp. But that's not all where Jesus goes for crying out loud. Jesus, Jesus goes to Dort Highway and the north end of Flint and the strip clubs and the drug hangouts and the and the gang bars and whatever else. How do I know that? And the prisons, how do I know that? 
Well, we just talked about it with the, with the babies up here. We talked about prevenient grace, the grace that reaches us, the grace that chases after us, the grace that goes before us. Jesus is the good shepherd looking for the lost sheep. The sheep aren't always in the corral. The sheep aren't always in the, in the pen. A lot of times the sheep get lost. And what does the good shepherd do? He goes where they are. So there's maybe some lost sheep in here today, but there's some lost sheep out there and Jesus' prevenient grace reaches them and no matter where they are or what they've done, that's what this is all about. So Jesus tells them, you know, invite everybody, everybody's welcome at the table. And then he tells a story. And the story goes like this. There's a, a rich guy and he decides to hold a big banquet and he invites all of his, his friends and all of the rich folks and all of the, you know, the hobnobbers and everybody else that thinks there's somebody. He invites them to the party. And in verse 17 of chapter 14, he says, come, everything is now ready. Ding, ling, 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 ling. Come on, it's party time. But everyone gives an excuse. One guy says, well, I just bought a field. I need to go check it out. Another guy says, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go examine them. One guy says, man, I just got married, love to, but I got to go on my honeymoon. Now, when we hear those excuses, we think, yeah, that makes sense. Sure, if you bought a field, you want to check out a yoke of oxen. You want to, a guy's got to go on a honeymoon. But many Bible scholars think that this is an example of first century humor. That Jesus is blowing their socks off. And he says, who in their right mind would buy a field and not look at it first? Nobody. You don't know if it's fertile ground or swamp. And so when Jesus told that, no doubt they were saying, oh, Jesus, man, that is the funniest thing I ever heard. Who would buy a field without checking it out? And a second illustration, five yoke of oxen without example. Who in their right mind would get five yoke of oxen is a lot. You had to be super wealthy to own five yoke of oxen. And so he said, this guy's saying, I got to go check it. Who would do that? No one in their right mind. People are laughing. Oh, Jesus, man, you're hilarious. And then finally, lastly, the biggest joke of all. Sorry, ladies. Who in their right mind would skip a party for just a honeymoon? Oh, Jesus, that's a hoot. But they all did. It'd be like, I don't know, uh, the coronation yesterday. You know, my family, kings, princes, we're all related. And, you know, suppose you got an invitation to the coronation of King Charles. You and your wife are cordially invited to the coronation event. Come. And you say, oh, man, I'd love to, but... I think there's some, some reruns of The Office on tonight. I really can't miss it. And my wife is making SpaghettiOs. Oh man, do I love SpaghettiOs. I'd love to, King Charles, but I can't. It's the same thing. And so the king, the king gets so upset and he tells his servant, go quickly into the streets, into the alleys and the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you're ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go into the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in to my, that my house will be full. What he's saying is insiders are becoming outsiders, outsiders becoming insiders. Those people who are at the table look around and say, man, I never dreamed I could be here. That's the kingdom of God, my friends. Amen. It's not because of what you've done, it's because of God's grace and he opens our eyes and he shows us what we need and he shows us where we're at and he tells us that he loves us. That's the kingdom of God. And so here Jesus is on this road to Emmaus with these full of doubt, half-hearted, doesn't believe the resurrection has even taken place. He's told them through scripture, it all points to him, and they still don't get it. 
And then finally, finally he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he serves it and its light goes off. Their eyes are opened and it's Jesus. And no sooner are their eyes are open than poof, he's gone. And verse 35 says, then the two, then the two rushed, you know, to, back to Jerusalem and the two told the disciples what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when? When he broke the bread. What's the point? Point is, words don't matter as much. Which is bad news for a guy like me who's living his speaking. But listen, if all you're hearing today is my words, if all you're hearing is, you know, a little Bible story here and there, then it's just a lecture. I don't want you to be here for a lecture. I want you to have a holy encounter with the living Lord. I want you to experience Jesus in a powerful and glorious way. And as Luke is telling this story, he he hearkens back to that first supper, right? Adam and Eve, their eyes were open, the disciples' eyes were open. But he also goes back to what we refer to as the Last Supper. What happened there? Jesus and his disciples. The Last Supper, the night, uh, we call it Monday, Thursday, the night before his death and resurrection. There's some similarities between the first supper of the new creation and the last supper. It's both dark. There's a gloom in the air. Jesus is serving. He does that fourfold action, takes the bread, prays for the bread, blesses bread, breaks the bread, serves the bread. And then their eyes are open. The last supper, of course, uh, Jesus, there's a gloom because Jesus is saying, listen, uh, someone's going to betray me and I'm soon going to enter my kingdom. The first supper of the new creation, it ends in joy. Look who's with us, the resurrected Lord. The last supper points to what Jesus was going to do. The first supper of the new creation points to what Jesus has already done. He's alive. So it's not surprising, really, that Jesus would show up at these meals. And it's not surprising that he would show up. Why would Jesus show up to these guys? These two on Emmaus. We don't even know one's name is Cleopas. We don't even know the other one's name. And Emmaus, no one knows what even, it's not even on any map. It's the most insignificant place of all. If Jesus is going to show up on the first Easter, don't you think he would show up, you know, at his mom's place in Nazareth? Or at, or at, at Herod's place or Pilate's place? Ta-da, I'm alive. Or forget that, Caesar's place in Rome? Let's have dinner here. No, he shows up to two insignificant disciples going to an insignificant place on the wrong road. They're going to Emmaus. They should be going to Galilee. What in the world is happening? I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus reaching out to anyone, those half-hearted, full of doubt believers, just like he does today. Just like he comes to us today and says, listen, I want you to be a part of my family. Everybody's welcome at the table. Everybody's welcome. So in this Luke, it's pointing to there's the first supper of Adam and Eve. They realize, we realize our sin. There's this last supper with the disciples when they point to the death and, resur- the death and crucifixion of Jesus. The first supper of the new creation with these two, Cleopas and his friend. And there's one more supper that's mentioned in the Bible. Do you remember where it is? 
It's way at the back. The Revelation of John, nearly the end, chapter 19, he mentions one more supper. And the angel said to me, John writes, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Who's invited? Well, y'all are invited. All it takes is accepting Jesus. You know, it says on on the front of this communion table that we don't really use anymore, thanks to these things. Do this in remembrance of me. What am I remembering? Well, I'm remembering, thanks to that first supper, I've made some sinful choices too. What am I remembering? Thanks to the last supper, Jesus went to the cross for me. What am I remembering? Thanks to the first supper in the new creation, Jesus is alive. What am I remembering? In the end, the final chapter is there's a wedding supper that you don't want to miss. The best banquet of all. That's what we remember. We don't think that this bread and juice uh, uh, becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus, but it sure does represent it. And it tells us that Jesus came to this world for who? For doubting, defeated, discouraged disciples on the wrong road. Just like you and me. Take this little bit of bread and rejoice. What does this juice remind us of? It reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed for every single person you will ever see. People on the wrong road, people in the dark and seedy places, people in church, people in Panama, people in Flint, people in every place in between. Jesus' love reaches all of us. Drink this and rejoice. Lord, we've had a full day. We celebrate our seniors and we baptize and dedicate our babies. We celebrate communion that reminds us that we're in this all together and that you meet us in this supper time. That you call us to remember our sin. That you remind us that you came to this world to die for us, for our sins. But that first supper of the new creation tells us that Jesus is alive. And the wedding supper of the Lamb reminds us that that's a place we don't want to miss. It's simple. Thank you, Lord. It's so simple. We just need to accept you into our heart and life. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. Jesus, I've tried things on my own and they haven't worked. Jesus, it seems like every time I try to get out of the pit, I dig it a little bit deeper. I need you. And your word promises, Lord, that up from the grave, that you will pick us out of that pit, that you will set us on the rock to stand, that we can trust you always. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to share your love. We don't have to go to Panama to do it. There's folks across the street from where we live that need you. There's folks down at the corner. There's folks in our school, and our workplace. We don't have to beat them over the head with a great big Bible, but we sure can love them just like you love people. We sure can, can, can just befriend them no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've gone. Help us to be more and like you, Jesus. Thank you for this place. We're so glad for the way you're working. 
Help us in a couple weeks when we do our Influent Day. Lord, help us to serve you with full hearts of joy, just like we did in Panama, and see you work in great and wonderful ways. Be with us throughout this week. Bless us, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.